Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, let me add my own welcome to that of uh, Andrew's earlier in the service. You're very, very welcome, especially if you're here for the first time uh, or uh, visiting us uh, or haven't been for a while. You're very, very welcome uh, indeed. And we're going to think about the resurrection of Jesus and all that it means for us. Um, You might like to turn back in your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, page 1217. And you'll see uh, why I say what I say uh, with the Bible in front of you. You might also find it useful to uh, dig out uh, one of the three things that have been tucked inside your handout. A, a, um, a little uh, outline uh, of, um, of uh, where I'm going for the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. A friend of mine who is uh, also a clergyman uh, went to visit a friend of his in intensive care. Uh, this friend uh, was dying. And in the unit that he went into, there were two beds next to each other, one with uh, my friend's friend in and the other uh, with another man in. Both men uh, were in the same predicament. Their livers were failing. And uh, he said, uh, my friend said to uh, his friend's wife, how are you coping? And the wife of the man said, it's hard, but we're fine. We have a hope. They were Christian people. We have a hope, they said. But she said, pointing to the bed next door, I'm sharing an apartment in the hospital with that lady's husband, And there's no roof on the storm that's hit them. They have no hope. See, when the storm hits, have you got any hope? That's what Easter Sunday is all about. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead means the roof is on when the storm hits. Now look again at the first verse of our uh, second reading, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. It's a wonderful verse. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope. Now, I probably need to explain that this word hope is a very vague, vague thing, the way we use it today. I've been hoping all week for hot, sunny days. I'm hoping for them next week too, and uh, my hopes have come to nothing so far. And as I'm having next week off uh, here in England, I'm pretty sure my hopes will be dashed next week as well. The way we use the word hope is very weak. But the way the Bible uses this word hope is very strong, very different. In the Bible, hope is a certain thing. It just is a hope because it hasn't yet come, but it's certain, a sure and certain hope. And the resurrection gives us hope, uh, hope in the face of death, as I put on the uh, handout for our first point. See, as we look at 1 Peter, the Christians Peter was writing to were suffering in all sorts of ways, as we can see down from verse 6. We read this, in this you greatly rejoice, that is the hope of heaven, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now these Christians that Peter was writing to were suffering in in many different ways just because they were Christian. And while that doesn't happen much in this country, it continues all over the world, people being persecuted because they're Christians. Again, forgive me for telling this story, but um, it so moved me. Uh, a few years ago, I had the great privilege of um, meeting the Archbishop of Jos, northern Nigeria. Ben Kwashi is his name. I know some of you have heard this. He tells of the suffering that Christians in northern Nigeria endure just because they're Christians. On their way to church this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as they made their way to church, they will have had stones thrown at them. When they arrived at church, the first thing they'll have had to do is clean the human excrement off the seats that have been smeared on them by those who oppose them. Archbishop Ben Kwashi himself has suffered at the hands of these Islamists who do these things. 
He suffered numerous threats on his life. His house and church have been burnt down. His wife has been beaten and raped and left for dead. Some of his colleagues have been murdered. That's happening in the 21st century in our, in our world uh, in northern Nigeria. Now, why would you continue to be a Christian when you suffer like that? Why on earth would you do that? It's here in verse 3. The hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Which gives us, verse 4, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. An inheritance in heaven. Now you see, whether we're persecuted for our faith or not, that's a hope we all need. Whether we have a faith or not, that is a hope we all need. The hope of life beyond the grave. A hope that means that the roof is on when the storm hits. For the truth is, one day the storm will hit. It's been a tough year for many in this congregation. A number faced this Easter without a loved one. But this time last year, they'd have never, never come to expect that. I can think of friends of mine who've been bereaved in this last year, two in particular, who this time last year would not have thought they'd have faced this, the, the year they've had. I think of my own dear mum's death in July. Not a surprise, she'd been ill for some time. We knew it was coming, but it's still tough. And the chilling truth is that, that my mum and my friends and the members of this congregation, if Christ is not risen, then I will never see them again. Never. Never. We're just left with the words Bertrand Russell heard his atheistic grandfather, Lord Russell, cry out from his deathbed, Goodbye, my darlings, forever. If Christ is not risen, that's all you're left with. But if Christ has gone through death himself, then he can get me through. That's why there's a hope. Hope in the face of death, verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, there is a door marked death, and one by one, every one of us will go through it. And we don't know when it will be the, our time uh, or at the time for our loved ones. For some, that time will come sooner rather than later. For some, it will come quite unexpectedly. But however it comes and whenever it comes, it will come. But there stands among us on Easter morning one who has defeated death. Here's what we're saying this morning. Jesus was born and lived among us and taught the most amazing things and was tried in a Roman court and sentenced to death, and he was beaten and nailed to a cross and had a, a spear thrust in his side, and then he was taken down from the cross and certified dead and laid in a tomb, and three days later he was walking around again. He was dead and is risen, and that means there is hope in the face of death. Isn't it wonderful? And I, as a clergyman, when I take funerals, and I did this just the week before last, as I stand at the back of church, I say these words, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. In other words, Jesus says, when it comes to your death, trust me. I got through death myself and I can get you through too. Don't trust to luck. Don't push it out of your mind. Don't trust your being a good person. Jesus says, trust me with your death. Why? Because the past certainty of my resurrection gives you a future hope. But look, without Jesus' resurrection, we have no hope. We have no answers to death. And we're there in intensive care with that dear woman and her husband, and there's no roof on, and the storm has hit. They had no hope. And that is such a desperate situation to be in. Not least of all, because it doesn't have to be like that. Death is coming, so have the roof on when the storm hits. Firstly, then, the, the Jesus' resurrection gives us hope in the light of death. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection gives us the hope we all want. See, as Peter wrote these words to the Christians in Asia Minor, they had a choice to make. And we see that choice in verse 7. Uh, he talks about these trials, 
And then he says, these trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. And it's those words that are bracketed that tell us so much about the situation. He says, your faith is worth more than gold. And he needed to tell them that because these Christians were being persecuted for being Christians and they had a choice to make. If they carried on following Jesus, they could lose their jobs and with their jobs went everything. There was no social security system, remember. So with their job, they'd lost their money, their house, their possessions, their security, their status, the lot. So they had a choice between gold and Jesus. Gold being everything that that mattered in life. And so if they were going to give up those things, they had to be sure that Jesus gave them so much more. And that's what he's saying here. Your faith is worth more than gold. Because I'm talking about something that lasts beyond gold, beyond this life. And that's what we're all looking for. Now, the singer Madonna's latest album, MDNA, you can tell I got this off the internet because there's no way I'd know this otherwise. Um, uh, Madonna's latest album, MDNA, has topped uh, the UK album charts this week, making her the most successful solo artist in UK album chart history. She has beaten Elvis Presley's record of 11 chart-topping albums. That's lasted a long time. Here is Madonna. She has everything, success, fame, wealth, popularity. Yet listen to what she said in Vanity Fair magazine. I put the quote on the handout because I think it's so, uh, so interesting. Uh, she says, I, I have an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. And you see about that, she's absolutely right. Driven by the need to feel she's important, while that's what drives her, her struggle will never end. She'll never find the satisfaction that she so craves. She'll never be content. For Madonna, it's a desire to be someone. For others, it might be a desire to succeed or to be wealthy or to travel the world or or to be loved or whatever it is. It doesn't matter who we are. We're all searching for something, for something that will make sense of life for us, for something that will give us the feelings that we so need of security and being loved and being important, the feeling of meaning. We hope for something to give us what we need. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in in, in this book, Mere Christianity, it's a a great book, well worth reading. It's a collection of wartime addresses. Uh, He writes uh, uh, towards the back on one uh, one book, uh, one uh, chapter on hope. And uh, he he writes uh, these words. Again, I put them on on the handout for you. Most people, if they'd really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign holiday or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy, he says. You know, that experience of of getting something that you've wanted for so long and how happy you feel for a while... The new car, the next promotion, a windfall, a new love in your life. When you first get that thing that you've so wanted, you could walk on air. It doesn't take long before the shine begins to wear off. The humdrum of life kicks back in. 
And before you know it, you're looking for the next thing. Well, C.S. Lewis explains why we're, why we're always on the lookout for that thing and, and nothing, why nothing ever seems to satisfy. Uh, over the page on the handout, he writes these words. Uh, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it. That, that, that is this desire that I have but only to arouse it, to, to suggest the real thing. Do you hear what he's saying? You and I have longings because we were made for something that we haven't got yet. And when no earthly pleasures fully satisfy, he says, can we see we were made for another world? That's what we hope for, even if we don't realise it. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us that hope. Again, these words, in his great mercy, he's given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. C.S. Lewis uh, goes on in, in this chapter on hope. It's only a short chapter, but it's brilliant. He goes on to explain that every time we have that feeling of disappointment, of the thing we've so wanted, not quite fulfilling us, one of four things can happen. Firstly, we can blame the things. We look at our successes and say, I've made it. Why am I not satisfied? Why am I so unhappy? And we think to ourselves, well, this must be the wrong job or the wrong wife or the wrong house. And so people keep changing partners and houses and careers. And we're saying all the time, it must be the things. I need new things. And if we don't blame the things, then we blame ourselves. We say to ourselves, I'm unhappy because I haven't achieved. I've made bad choices. I should never have married that person or taken that job. It's my fault that I'm feeling like this. We blame the things or we blame ourselves. Or third, we blame the universe. Now, then we say, well, I've just come to realise that you can't expect anything out of this life. I've given up trying to be happy. And you become bitter and like a grumpy old man, you rob other people of all their excitement of life. There's no point looking for happiness, you say. It can't be found. It's not possible in this universe. You see, you blame the things and you become a fool, thinking it's just that you haven't got the right thing yet. You blame yourself and you become depressed. You blame the universe and you become a cynic and a misery to be around. Or you can do the fourth thing, says C.S. Lewis. You can blame your separation from God. I cannot find satisfaction in this world because I was built for another world. The reason I'm so thirsty is because I'm made for eternal life, but I'm trying to satisfy my thirst with temporal things. Which is why I love verse 4. Do you see it there? The resurrection gives us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Everything we look for in this life does perish, spoil or fade. That's the point. Which is why I need a new thing, a new car, a new love, a new promotion, a new experience. Because nothing in this life satisfies my expectations. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives us hope. The hope that we all have inside and that we all keep looking to satisfy. The hope of relationship with God, which is what we were made for. Live for anything else and we'll constantly be disillusioned in life. And even if I have found hope in something in this life, it won't last. It will perish, spoil or fade. The storm will come and rob us of that thing through recession or redundancy or disaster or death. We can't hold on to anything in this life. So put the roof on before the storm hits. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope in the light of death. Jesus' resurrection gives us 
the hope we all want. And thirdly, Jesus' resurrection gives us the hope of justice. Now, the first readers of this letter knew all about injustice. They were suffering just because they were Christian, losing their jobs and their reputations, and maybe fearful of losing their lives because they followed Jesus. It was so unjust. And that is why Peter writes these words. A new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, in the resurrection of Jesus, there is hope of justice. A friend of mine visited Auschwitz in Poland near Krakow, where, the place where one and a half million people were murdered. And he said on the tour there was a short film about Auschwitz being liberated. And you can imagine the film showed some harrowing sights. And at the end of the film, the commentator asked two haunting questions. And were the guilty ever brought to justice? And can these wrongs ever be addressed? Those two questions echo down through history. Were the guilty ever brought to justice? Can these wrongs ever be addressed? Down through history, people have been worried about injustice. There'll be people here this morning who've suffered terrible injustice. There's so much injustice in this world. Can it ever be put to right? It makes you wonder when you realise that Dr. Joseph Mengele, a man who killed hundreds of children in experiments in Auschwitz, died while swimming off the coast of Brazil in 1979. He had a heart attack during his afternoon swim. For over 30 years, after the end of the war, he'd enjoyed a life of relative luxury. An afternoon swim in Brazil, for goodness sake, when he'd killed all those children. So were the guilty ever brought to justice? And can these wrongs ever be addressed? Well, yes, if Christ is risen. The Apostle Paul says in the New Testament that he, God, has set a day when he would judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed, and he's given proof of this to all men. How? How has he given proof? It goes on to say, by raising him from the dead. Jesus has risen as our ruler with authority to judge us one day. So despite what many people think, the coffin is not an exitless box. Jesus' resurrection proves that everyone will be raised and judged. And that tells us that we do live in a moral universe where right and wrong matter and where there is ultimate justice. Isn't that good news? Well, it's both good news and bad news. It is good news to note there will be a day when a man like Dr. Joseph Mengele will be raised and judged because of Easter Day. It is good news that all the wrongs that you and I have suffered will be judged because there was a day when Jesus rose as ruler and judge. That is very good news. But it's also very bad news because it proves that we don't all go to heaven. Some people think they can act as if God sees all our rejection of him and, and of Jesus and all our living for ourselves and yet they somehow think that God just sweeps that under the carpet and it means nothing. But ultimately how... How I treat you matters to God. And how you treat me matters to God. And how we treat the world matters to God. And actually how we treat God matters to God. And there's been moral outrage at the news uh, this week of a major expansion of the government's powers to monitor through GCHQ the internet activity of everyone living in the UK. Have you heard it? The email exchanges, the website visits and the telephone calls of every person in the UK. Just think about about it. Someone with access to all our emails and text messages and telephone conversations. What a thought. Someone listening to everything we say. Well, look, here is a much scarier thought. 
The living God hears not only everything we say on the telephone and everything we write in emails and everything we ever look at on the internet, but he hears everything we say to everyone in every conversation we ever had. And he knows everything we ever thought. He knows the secrets we keep from everyone else. He knows what goes on behind closed doors. He knows the dark thoughts that even our nearest and dearest don't know. He knows through and through us, warts and all. I don't know how you feel about that, but I've got to tell you, to me, that is a terrifying thought. Because there are so many things that I've said and done and thought that I'm mightily ashamed of. I am a sinner, and God knows that, and so I don't deserve to go to heaven. That is bad news. And that is why everyone doesn't automatically go to heaven. Because none of us can stand before God as innocent people. We're in desperate need of forgiveness. And that's why our fourth point is such a relief. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope, the hope of forgiveness. Here's why Easter is such a wonderful time. Why on Easter morning we take communion and remember the death of Jesus. For when Jesus died, he died so that we could be forgiven. He took the punishment that we deserve. We don't deserve heaven. He does. He doesn't deserve punishment. We do. But God loves us. And Jesus came to take the punishment for all our wrongdoing. You can't have missed the fact, because it's been all over the uh, newspapers and the television, uh, that uh, next week we mark the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. This was a a post that I got last week uh, in the Times. And there's a moment in the film. I know the film isn't that accurate, but go with me for a moment. There's a moment in the film when Rose... Uh, Kate Winslet pleads with Mr. Andrews, I saw the iceberg and I see it in your eyes. Please tell me the truth. And Mr. Andrews, the engineer, replies, the ship will sink. In an hour or so, all this will be at the bottom of the Atlantic. And then he tells her, get to a lifeboat quickly. Don't wait. See, she says, tell me the truth. So here's the thing. As we think about the resurrection, is it true that we all face Jesus as our judge? And is it true that he sees everything I've ever said and done? Because if it is true, then I can be sure that on that day, when I come face to face with him, with my sin before him, I will have a terrible sinking feeling. When the storm hits, is the roof on? Do you have any hope in the light of facing a holy judge? Well, the good news is, because of Easter, there is hope. Jesus' death on the cross is the lifeboat. Jesus' resurrection tells us we can be forgiven. Isn't that wonderful news? The Bible teaches us that sin leads to death. And so the proof that sin has been dealt with on the cross is that death is defeated. How can I know that my sin was paid for at the cross? How can I know that I'm forgiven? How do I know that Jesus' death on Good Friday worked? Because Jesus rose from the dead. That's how I know. Isn't that wonderful news? You won't hear any better news ever. So as Jesus conquers death, I can know the penalty for my sin has been paid. And so Easter gives us a wonderful hope. Hope in the face of death. The hope that we all want. The hope of justice. The hope of forgiveness. And that hope comes to me when I start again with Jesus. Do you see it there in our verse? Verse 3. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. New birth. A fresh start with the risen Jesus. That's how I get this living hope. The roof on when the storm hits whether it be death, disappointment, disillusionment, or justice. Well, thanks very much for coming this morning. 
I want to wish you all a very happy Easter and a wonderful Resurrection Day. And I want to just uh, underline the things that uh, Andrew's just uh, suggested in the notices, that, that we do take this very seriously. And perhaps don't leave it another year before we get these things sorted out. And so do think about coming along to this course, Christianity Explored. Yes, there is one of these in everybody's uh, bundle as you came in. Uh, think about coming and joining us on the 1st of May, Tuesday night. You'll find it um, unthreatening, chance to ask any questions, uh, a chance to investigate whether the resurrection really happened or not, whether it really does make such a difference. Well, it'd be great if you come and join us if you've never got these things sorted out before. And we're going to turn to prayer now. We'll have a moment of silence. And then Andrew will lead us in our time of prayer.